0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Friday, August 11th, 2023. Just want to say at the front here that there's not going to be a show on monday i'm taking a long weekend so the next show will be for tuesday morning i just wanted to let you know for those don't who don't make it to the end Um, all right now let's get into the news here for the day the first story at the top of antiwar.com today president biden asks for 24 billion dollars more for the ukraine war So the White House on Thursday asked Congress to approve a $40 billion bill that includes nearly $24 billion for additional spending on the war in Ukraine. So according to CNN, the $24 billion for the Ukraine war includes $13 billion in military aid, $7.3 billion in economic and humanitarian assistance, And it also includes $3.3 billion for infrastructure projects for regional countries impacted by the war, which is kind of a strange uh, addition there. You know, those are countries neighboring Ukraine, I guess. And this request comes after there was a poll from CNN that found 55% of Americans are against more spending on the war in Ukraine. Um, You know, that opinion doesn't matter. They want to go full steam ahead on funding this proxy war against Russia. And so the bill is for $40 billion in total because they're trying to lump in some other things with it, including $12 billion for domestic disaster relief and $4 billion for border security. They probably threw some of that in there to get Republicans on board, you know, and now they can shame people if they don't vote for this because it includes other things. And media reports have said, as I've covered, that the White House would try to add Taiwan military aid to this spending package, but that was not included in the request. So these funds will be in the form of an emergency supplemental package, which is a type of spending that was not limited by the debt ceiling deal reached between House Republicans and the White House. So I'm guessing, I haven't really seen much reaction about this from, you know, the people in Congress. I'm guessing that this is going to pass. You know, the past few times that President Biden, that the White House has requested for Congress to authorize spending on the Ukraine war, Congress has actually raised the amount. You know, they came back with more funding. Um, And, you know, there's a chance, I think, that now that it's very clear that the counteroffensive has failed, that maybe there will be more opposition Um, But I'm still pretty pessimistic about that. And I kind of am assuming that this will pass. But we'll see how it plays out. You know, there's just a lot of partisan battles going on. So hopefully maybe, you know, that can get in the way. Um, But either way, you know, I'm sure they're still going to find money to keep funding this war. Um, So since Russia invaded Ukraine last year, Congress has authorized $113 billion in spending on the war. And if the new package is approved, the total will reach about $137 billion, which is just a huge amount of money. And that's all sorts of spending. It's not just the military aid. It's also the economic aid, um, money to replenish Pentagon stockpiles. It's actually a big chunk of it. So they send the weapons over, and then they give the Pentagon more money to buy new weapons um, and, and money to fund deployments in Eastern Europe. So that's the number, you know, the Punchbowl News report that I went over earlier this week that said this request was coming. They said the number would probably be, you know, over $10 billion. So this was much bigger than we expected to see. All right, the next one here, this is one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute. Ukrainians despair as bloody counteroffensive yields small gains. So this is an article kind of about how the people in Ukraine are feeling right now, which... Doesn't matter much to Washington. So according to the Washington Post, citizens of Ukraine are beginning to adopt a darker mood about the war and national unity is starting to fray. The change in sentiment among Ukrainians comes as Kiev's spring counteroffensive has failed to retake territory and casualties are surging. So one Ukrainian that the Washington Washington Post spoke with, Ala Blizniak said, quote, Ukrainians, much in need of good news, are simply not getting any. Before, people were united. Now there's a collective sense of disappointment, end quote. So the sense of despair is driven by massive casualties in Kiev's counteroffensive. Bliznyak said that most soldiers sent to the front die in just two to three days. Last week, Politico reported that Kiev has committed 150,000 troops to, flight, to fight along. Three fronts. Nevertheless, the Pentagon admits that Ukrainian forces have failed to make any significant gains. So the U.S. publicly claims that it has provided Ukraine with everything that it needs to wage a consensus to wage a successful counteroffensive. But Western officials admitted to the Wall Street Journal that Ukrainian forces, you know, did not have enough weapons to dislodge did not have enough training and equipment to dislodge Russian forces they just hoped that they would so another ukrainian that the post spoke with is a ukrainian soldier she said that they hoped the losses would would be worth the price you know the steep casualties all these people coming back without limbs and they're not seeing that it's worth the price and her husband who's also a ukrainian soldier lost a leg and told the post that he would not enlist if he could make the choice again Um, And he said that Ukraine is sending untrained soldiers to the front lines. He said, quote, they are taking everyone and sending them to the front line without proper preparation. I don't want to be in the company of unmotivated people, end quote. Um, So it's a pretty bleak assessment there of the situation from the Ukrainians uh, who are dealing with it. All right, the next one here is some story. Uh, American neo-Nazi is training forces in Maine To fight for Ukraine, so this is another one from Kyle Anzalone, and this is about a guy named Christopher Paul House, who's a former U.S. Marine and a very well-known American neo-Nazi. Apparently, he's purchased land in Maine to train soldiers to fight for Ukraine. He sees the war against Russia as a unique chance to fight alongside the Azov Battalion and defend what he calls a nearly all-white nation. So last year, he bought at least 10 acres of land in Springfield, Maine, although he claims that, that he owns over 100 acres, and he's discussed his ambitious plan for his main training grounds on social media. In a Telegram post, he said, quote, there will likely not be another chance in my lifetime to fight alongside other national socialist men against a multi-ethnic invading empire to defend an almost all-white nation, end quote. So in a post on X, formerly Twitter, this is, I mean, Polhouse confirmed that he hoped his blood tribe, that's the name of his group, would join the Azov Battalion and C-14, prominent Ukrainian neo-Nazi uh, units, in the fight against Russia. So Scott Horton, who's the director of the Libertarian Institute and our editorial director at Antiwar.com, I'm sure you all know Scott, So he tweeted, you know, retweeted an article about this land in Maine that he bought. And Scott, you know, asked probably kind of jokingly, are they going to fight with the Azov Battalion and C-14 on the Eastern Front? And this guy, Polhouse, replied and said, yes, actually, with a little hearty smiley face. Um, so it's not clear, you know, how far along they've progressed in this training and how realistic this vision that he has is, but there's other things. I saw an intercept report that he's, he talks to the guy, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he leads the Russian, uh, volunteer corps. They're the group of ethnic Russians who have been fighting for Ukraine and doing these cross-border raids. And he's a neo-Nazi, the guy who leads that. And these guys are buddies apparently and have been talking. And Paul House has been saying he wants to send his guys over there to help them. Um, so it's just an example of how, you know, the U.S. government and a lot of people in the United States are just ignoring this, the fact that there are Nazis, um, you know, fighting for Ukraine and interested in, uh, in going over there. Um, it just is very much left out of the uh, mainstream narrative. All right, so the next one here, ECOWAS activates force for Niger intervention. So the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS on Thursday ordered the activation and deployment of a reserve force to restore constitutional order in the Republic of Niger, while also saying that it would seek peaceful means to resort Niger's President Mohamed Bazoum. So after the summit, uh, Alassane, Outara, who's the president of Cote d'Ivoire, which is the Ivory Coast, he said the West African bloc agreed to launch uh, an intervention as soon as possible and said that his country would provide a battalion of 850 to 1100 soldiers. So the ECOWAS summit in Nigeria came a few days after the August 6 deadline that the West African bloc gave Niger's to reinstate Bazoom. In the statement ordering the activation of the standby force, ECOWAS commission president, it was the president of the ECOWAS commission, not the current chair of ECOWAS, which is the Nigerian president. So the commission president said that the bloc would keep all options on the table for the peaceful resolution, but they're saying that they're activating this force for a military intervention. And Nigerian president Bola Tinubu, who again is the chair of ECOWAS, he threatened force but as a last resort so kind of sending mixed signals saying that they're still going to try peaceful resolutions but there's no sign that the junta is backing down in the face of sanctions and these threats and they're saying that they're activating this force it's unclear right now how long it would take it's going to take to active, activate this reserve force and if they're really trying you know negotiations in the meantime but it seems like you know they're dead set on this. Uh, you know They're not going to let this coup government stand, and the, the junta is not backing down. That's, that's the situation right now. So this could get really hairy. Uh, we know this could easily turn into a, a major regional war. Burkina Faso and Mali have warned that they would consider an ECOWAS intervention into Niger as a declaration of war against them. You have U.S. and French troops in there. They're not going anywhere. The the Pentagon said Thursday when asked about all this that there's no change in the force posture and would not really answer if they said that the U.S., you know, when asked if the U.S. would support the intervention. So, you know, this could really get hot within the next few days. Um, We'll see. I think it will become clear at least in the next few days if, um, you know, how quick this might happen, this intervention. So the next one here, the Niger Hunta told Victoria Nuland that they would kill Bazoum if there is military intervention. So the Associated Press reported on Thursday that the Niger Hunta told acting Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Nuland that they would kill deposed President Mohamed Bazoum if neighboring countries launched a military intervention to reinstate him. So after meeting with the Hunta leaders in Niger on Monday, Newland did not mention this threat, um, and she did not discuss the possibility of military intervention. But she described the talks, you know, she sounded very negative. She said the talks were extremely frank and difficult, and she sounded very doubtful that the junta would relinquish power. So the Associated Press, you know, they cited unnamed sources for this claim. They said an unnamed Western military official told them about the threat to Newland and that they confirmed it with a U.S. official. Um, so again, they sound very serious, this, this junta, um, and they're not backing down. And the next one here is from the Intercept from Nick Terse. At least five members of the Niger junta were trained by the U.S. So we found out we knew that Newland met with a colonel who or a general now who was trained by the United States. We knew at least one of them previously received training, and now Turs has followed up. And he found that the United States has trained at least five members of the new ruling junta in Niger. America has now paused security assistance to that military-led government, even as it looks to ramp up such aid to Burkina Faso, which is ruled by a military officer who took power in a 2022 coup. So that's interesting. I didn't know that, that they're looking to increase aid. You know, they care much more about the Niger coup, probably because of that drone base. I know France, you know, relies on Niger for uranium and you know they they want to the junta wants, you know, to cut off that those exports and there's other factors at play here. But I think the reason why the US really cares about Niger again is they don't want to give up that drone base. So the Nigerian junta, which calls itself self the National Council for the Safeguarding of the Fatherland, seized power on July 26th and detained Bazoum. So the commander of the country's presidential guard, General Abdo Rahman Shiani, also spells his name Tiani, but I believe it's pronounced Chiani, something like that. Um, So he's proclaimed himself the country's new leader. And he apparently received training. Diplomatic cables, Terse looked back, diplomatic cables released by WikiLeaks, Show that Chiani was selected to attend a year long international counterterrorism fellows program at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. from 2009 to 2010. Um, so, and then there's a few others. So, five in total that he found. And again, these are the people threatening to kill Bazoum. So, it just shows the failure of the counterterrorism, U.S. counterterrorism operations in the region. You know, there's way more, an increase of 30,000% of terrorist attacks in Africa since the U.S. got involved in, you know, what they call counterterrorism in the region. And now all these trained U.S.-trained military officers are overthrowing uh, democratically elected governments. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that it's an abysmal failure and that the U.S. should get out. But realistically, they're not going to just leave, you know. All right, the next one here, Poland to send 10,000 troops to the Belarus border. So this is kind of an update about one that I uh, had yesterday. So Poland's defense minister said that Warsaw plans to deploy 10,000 troops to its border with Belarus as part of a buildup that began after the Wagner fighters traveled from Russia to Belarus. So he's saying that there's going to be 10,000 soldiers, 4,000 of them will support the border guard, and 6,000 will be in reserve. And this came a day after another Polish official said that they were planning to send 2,000 troops to the border. So, you know, they keep ramping it up. And again, this has really turned into a potential flashpoint for a conflict between NATO and Russia. You got Belarus, which Russia said it would defend, and then Poland, of course, is a NATO country. Um, So it's definitely an area we got to keep an eye on. All right, the next one here, this is an article from Connor Freeman at the Libertarian Institute. The U.S. bolsters Belarus sanctions for what they call complicity in the Ukraine war. So the United States Treasury Department expanded its sanctions on Belarus, taking aim at the country's premier airline, uh, Belavia, as well as three more companies and a government office. So they announced these penalties on the third anniversary of the Belarusian presidential uh, election that took place in 2020. That Lukashenko won. It's a disputed election. The U.S. and the EU did not recognize the results, and they started sanctioning Belarus. And it was really that that drove Lukashenko much closer to Putin, and you know maybe uh, led to you know him allowing Russia to use his territory to invade Ukraine. That might not have happened before the U.S. and the EU rejected this election. Um, so more sanctions on Belarus, they've been lumped in with the Russia sanctions. And these ones are, you know, targeting specific, um, entities inside the country. All right. The next one here, the U S and Iran reach a deal on a prisoner release. So the U S and Iran have reached a deal that will free five Americans in exchange for the U S releasing some Iranians and granting Tehran limited access to $6 billion in frozen Iranian funds. So, sources told the New York Times that the negotiations had been going on quietly for two years. So, prisoner exchanges have typically been kept separate from other issues between the U.S. and Iran. There's been prisoner swaps. The Trump administration did a prisoner swap with them even after they pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal. So, as part of the first step in this agreement, Iran has released five Iranian-American dual citizens from prison. They put them on house arrest at a hotel where they're going to spend a few weeks before flying to the U.S., and most of them were jailed over spying allegations. So the White House confirmed in a statement that the five Americans were released on house arrest, but the Times said that the Biden administration has declined to confirm what Iran will get in return. Sources told the paper that the U.S. has agreed to release several Iranians Several Iranians who were arrested for alleged sanctions violations, which is kind of a you know crazy to me that they arrest people for you know put them in jail for violating sanctions. I mean, it's not just a fine. Um, so Iran will only be able to access these funds to pay for humanitarian goods such as medicine and food. So tensions have been soaring between the US and Iran in the Persian Gulf as I've been covering the US military buildup there. Uh, 3,000 U.S. Navy sailors and Marines just showed up. These tensions over these oil tanker seizures that really, you know, the current round of tensions started when the U.S. seized an Iranian oil tanker and forced it to go to the U.S. Or, sorry, it wasn't an Iranian oil tanker. It was a tanker carrying Iranian oil that was headed to China. The U.S. made them go to the U.S. um, and they want to take the cargo. So this, you know, is a sign that hopefully, you know, there's still room for diplomacy. It's good to know at least that there's been some dialogue between the two countries. And if you remember earlier in the year, there was a series of media reports saying that the U.S. and Iran were engaged in negotiations on some sort of interim nuclear deal, but that never materialized into an agreement. And it's interesting. This is something I should try to follow up on. So Robert Malley, who who was President Biden's special envoy for Iran, There was a report saying he was meeting directly with Iranian officials in the United States with with Iran's representative to the U.N. in New York, um, which, you know, the U.S. and Iran haven't done that. And then after those reports came out, Mali was suspended supposedly for handling of classified documents or something. I forget exactly what, but it's just kind of odd timing. Um, So he might have made some people angry for doing that. but yeah, so hopefully there's more diplomacy between the US and Iran. And of course, you know, Hawks in Congress are all over this. The Republicans put out a statement calling it appeasement, which is just ridiculous. You know, it's their own money, the six billion dollars, and they're not even giving them full access to it. Um, so, you know, of course that's gonna happen, but they're gonna get they're gonna get it from the Hawks, no matter what the deal is really. Uh, but that is it for the news for today. I left up the one from The Intercept about the U.S. pressuring Pakistan to remove Imran Khan, because that's just a huge story. Um, and go check out our viewpoints. We have one from William Astore, an exceptional military for the exceptional nation. One from Ted Snyder, the global south stands up. One from Caitlin Johnstone and her Substack, the illusory truth effect and the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. One from Judge Knapp, FBI unwittingly investigates itself. And our spotlight is from George Beebe over at Responsible Statecraft, Myth of a Strong Post-War Ukraine. Um, That is it for me. You could also check out uh, our blog. Again, we've had a lot of stuff in there from Greg Mitchell about the atomic bombing stuff, which I think has been really interesting. And this one uh, blog post re- reprinted from his Substack stack is um, about the Japanese man who was A-bombed twice. He was in Hiroshima. His wife was killed. He went to Nagasaki, where he was from, visited with his mom. And while he was with his mom, um, the city got nuked again. I mean, it's just horrific. Um, so go check that out. Uh, but that is it for me for today. You could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. Again, I'm not going to be here Monday. Uh, my wife's birthday is Sunday, and she's very pregnant, so I want to make sure she has a nice, good, easy day. And so that's another thing. So baby is expected in early September, so sometime around then I'm probably going to be taking a few days off. Uh, so just be you know, aware of that if you rely on this show, which... You know, it's really cool to know that some people listen to this every day and, you know, it still kind of blows my mind a little bit. Uh, But I'll be back after a few days. So next show is Tuesday. I'll be back Monday because I write and record the night before to get people to show for the morning, which is how most people listen to it, which is kind of the idea, kind of, you know, you're driving to work, throw this on. Listen, you know, get updated on the news, but let me know you, know, you know, if you listen to it in a different way. I know there are people that watch it on YouTube when I posted at midnight, you know, for people on the west coast and elsewhere, it, it, it's a lot earlier. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious to know. Right now, it is most people listen to the podcast, the audio version, instead of watch the, the video, and it's in the morning is when most of the downloads are. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so I'll be back in a few days. Thanks for listening.